This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hi, I'm Tanya. Hi, I'm Christy. So I really loved the episode you two wrote about OSHA plastics for the Generation Carbon uh, podcast for the kids. Uh, I thought it was so cute. And I loved how they how that you uh, incorporated facts about ocean plastics into a really fun kids episode. And so what like, tell me about how you researched it, like what cool things did you find or? Yeah. So first of all, Christy and I, I feel like this is worth mentioning, have been friends since we were in grade school. Um, so we've known each other known each other for a very long time. And this is kind of, this project has been the first time that we've like really gotten to talk regularly in a very long time. So it's been just really awesome and special to reconnect with Christy. And I felt like working on the script together was a really nice way to commemorate working on the project together. So for research, I mean, I just went gung-ho researching cephalopods, you know, Ocean life, I, I really kind of zoned in on octopuses and cephalopods, but yeah, just learned everything I could. Yeah, you did a lot of really good research, Tanya. And by the way, thank you for saying that, Catherine, about the script. That means a lot to hear. It was really fun to be a part of. So when we were researching it, Tanya did really take the reins and she found all of these cool articles and started listening to this audiobook or maybe you you read it I think I think you did audio though and just started sharing all of this stuff and it was it was really fascinating to learn both about the octopus which was what we decided to center the story on but then also in parallel to that learning about ocean plastics and that whole side of things was very eye-opening too yeah yeah super eye-opening like some of the things that I've learned about ocean plastics, the Great Pacific Plastic Patch, you know, that huge mound of plastic that's just floating out there that's bigger than Texas. Like that just blew my mind that that's real. And I guess there's one in the Atlantic too that rivals the Pacific one in size. And it just, you realize all the creatures that it affects, like the octopus. And I heard octopi are really smart creatures, actually. They really are. They actually have the IQ and capacity of like a two-year-old human child or like a dog, the trainability of a dog. So they're really fascinating creatures. They're mischievous. They can like, they keep track of people that have wronged them or like there's this story of an octopus in an aquarium where one of the trainers or the workers, it didn't like this worker for whatever reason. So every time the worker would turn his or her back to walk away, it would spit water at it. It was truly <laughs> upset with this worker and doing it on purpose, they found. 
So yeah, octopi are are super fascinating creatures. And like one of the many creatures under the ocean that are so smart. Like we look at, you know, dolphins and whales and all these even sharks are finding have this intelligence that we never gave them credit for. It's just makes me really sad how we're you know polluting their home so that they're they're not even standing a chance. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that was one of the eye-opening pieces of knowledge that I learned throughout creating this script. Once we decided to choose an octopus as our main character, which we chose because of some of the things Tanya mentioned of it being mischievous and smart, and we just thought it would be a fun character. We were looking at where this octopus should live. And I don't know where an octopus would typically live. I don't know much about it. So I started doing research and it did not take long to learn that many are living in human trash right now. And uh, there are a lot of pictures of it, a lot of information on it. But with human trash becoming increasingly common in the ocean, sometimes it's easier to find than something like a seashell for a home. So Tanya, I don't know if you knew that before, but I know for me that was... That was a big moment to to learn more about that. No, absolutely. It was eye-opening. And we, I think we kind of jokingly were feeling really bad about collecting seashells and stuff um, because we learned that that's an actual problem for octopus, that they sometimes will wear like shells to cover themselves or protect themselves. And they're not able to find them as much anymore. So they've started using ocean plastics and coffee cans and, and things that are that make their way from landfills to the bottom of the sea. So it's very sad. Yeah. And then on top of those potentially harming them, like there was one picture that I remember from the beginning of our research where an octopus was living inside of a piece of broken glass. So on top of something like that potentially hurting them, some of the ocean plastics can be leaking chemicals that are harmful for them as well. So was it hard to write it so that it relates to kids? Like this is such a huge problem and it feels really daunting, like all these, all this plastic in the oceans. Like how is it to write something that would relate to kids? I think just working on the Generation Carbon podcast, that that's the biggest challenge is just that while I don't have kids myself, I love children so much and was a teacher for a very long time. And they're, you know, we want to protect them from big, scary stuff. We don't want to, you know, talk about these things with them. It's especially when, you know, it's generations before them that have been mostly creating this problem. It's a really big challenge to figure out how to talk about it with little kids. I think personally, I believe so much that they'll benefit from being included in conversations like this in some capacity later on in life, you know, they'll start to, it won't be a big surprise, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, mom's been kind of talking about all this stuff or, you know, so-and-so has been talking about this stuff. They'll kind of have the skills to confront it and to, to deal with it, I think. So that's how, I think just the mission of, of the project helps to keep me, you know, focused on how do we communicate this to little kids and it's important to do. Those are really great points and I second them all. I think in addition to it potentially helping children later in life, it can be empowering for them right now. And I think they actually can help to create impact within all of this. I know with our 
kid's book with the Generation Carbon book, my son read it. He's five years old and um, so preschool. And he loved this picture we had of a car waiting outside of school to pick someone up with a sign that said something like, don't leave your engine running while you're waiting to pick up your child. And the very next day he was telling my husband when he picked him up, he's like, dad, you cannot leave your car running when you come to pick me up at school. So I do think that there are benefits to the now too, and them being able to start to have a voice in some of this at a young age. With, with the kids book, one of our big missions was to empower these kids. And I look at that as we're writing these podcasts too. And I think even looking at it through that lens can be helpful with that challenge you talked about, Catherine, of trying to figure out how to speak about some of this stuff to younger generations. I just love that about the kids enforcing the the rules <laughs> with their parents that this is important, dad, we need to make sure that we're turning the car off. We need to make sure that we're not putting anything down the drain that's going to hurt the fish. That's my nephew. He's always make make sure that we're not hurting the fish. So kids kids are getting it. And I think that's why I love Generation Carbon so much is it gives them a fun way to talk about and and we always have a call to action at the end. So the kids always have something that they can take away from it and go and do and feel empowered to be making a difference. You know, it starts so young and then we'll snowball hopefully and we'll get a whole generation of people who are activists and ready to, to take action on climate change. Yeah. And there's something so refreshing about how a child's perspective on this huge problem too. For the podcast, we ask for submissions from children and they'll ask questions. They submit a question that something related to the topic that the episode's on. And, you know, sometimes the questions we get are like, who's throwing plastic in the ocean? Why? Why are we throwing plastic in the ocean? You know, or, and it's just so refreshing to be talking about this daunting, scary topic in a very direct and blunt way. Absolutely. So what what do you feel is the most pressing issue with the oceans then? Like, it, do you think it is the cleaning up of the plastic? Is it the warming? Like, where, where do you, what do you both think is where we should be focusing our energies on the oceans? Um, so I would say... This is actually something that I learned from our ocean plastics expert, Nathan Robinson, who is a marine biologist. And he has what I consider to be like the coolest job on earth. Um, he's like a deep sea marine biologist, um, you know, something along those lines. So he's actually captured the giant squid on film and like has really gotten to explore like the depths of the ocean that, I don't know, it just blows my mind what could possibly live down there and out there. But something that he said that really stuck with me is that because plastic is so strong chemically, it does not break down easily. So when we put it in landfills, trying to, to put it somewhere and it makes its way into the ocean, it's going to stay there for a thousand years. So while part of the problem is, you know, reducing our single-use plastic consumption, it's also kind of figuring out, well, how do we get the plastic that's in the ocean out too? That to me seems, it's kind of both. That is such a good point. Like we could stop all single-use plastics now and we would still have this ma mega mess in the oceans that like, what, what do we do with all this that's already in there and 
choking everything and you know turtles are swallowing these bags and ending up in their stomachs and you know I, i've been trying really hard to reduce the plastics that i use it's so hard like especially if you want to eat healthy say like all healthy food seems to come wrapped in some sort of plastic or you know you want to try using the bulk places but they're so far away to drive to it would cost so much in carbon it just feels like how do i reduce my plastics without causing more problems somehow but so i'm trying i'm trying like glass containers and trying to you know not buy anything single use and it's actually really cool our country in, in canada here they're going to phase out single use plastics by the end of the year so like our government's actually making some strides towards helping us with single use plastics but i still feel it's probably not enough it's a start it's huge that's so awesome sorry christy Oh, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's I had no idea that that was happening. That's really exciting and encouraging. Similar to you. I was going to say, I just feel like we're behind because, you know, places in Europe have already had this in place for five years. So it feels like, like what was wrong with us that we didn't? It's so entrenched in our society that people just don't want to make that shift. Yeah, I think in the Almanac, just looking at that this morning, I got my copy in the mail last night, and I haven't really gotten to go through it. But reading in the first few pages, uh, there's a page on the tyranny of convenience. And I think that's a lot of it. It's like we're used to running late in the morning and grabbing like a bar or a, a yogurt to take with us on the road to eat while we're driving. I think a lot of times like single-use plastic is very convenient. It is hard. It's hard to you know, even myself, it, it's hard to remember, like, every trip to the grocery store, try to limit the plastic that I'm buying. I think that is definitely true around convenience. Another thing that I've been thinking of that I know for me personally was a challenge that I didn't even know existed is that I think a lot of us, at least in the U.S., are raised with this mentality of reduce, reuse, recycle. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately um, in so many different ways. But I think with plastic, and I know that saying this, admitting this is something that will make a lot of people cringe, but I have been a climate rookie. I'm very new on this journey. Before working on the Almanac, I was under the impression that it was okay to use it if I was diligent about recycling. And I was trying to be as diligent as possible about recycling. And I didn't understand, one, I learned from the Almanac that it's actually the entire life cycle of plastic that affects climate change from its creation, not just what happens afterwards. But two, the recycling, it's probably not even ending up actually getting recycled. That was something that just completely changed what I thought that I knew about climate change. Yeah. And it's it's intentional too. It's like, they have that number system with recycling. So you see a number and you think, oh, it's recyclable. But no, like you have to check. It's it's going to differ even definitely state to state, but maybe even more than that. So you feel like, oh, you see a number, that means it's recyclable. But no, like you go to these recycling centers and a huge percentage of the stuff coming in gets put into landfill. So yeah, it's, it's a really complicated Oh, multi-tiered problem. Yeah, with the the recycling and the landfill thing, I was just reading about plastics again in the kids' book last night, and 
there was a stat in there that said out of every 100 pieces of plastic items that we put in the recycling bin, only eight of them actually get recycled. It's so surprising. Yeah, it's wild. And then you spend like, before working on this project, I can't tell you how much time I spent rinsing out, letting peanut butter containers soak to get the peanut butter out, you know, because I have this vision that this plastic container is going to go to the recycling center. And while it's being processed, it's going to, the peanut butter is going to like gunk up the gears and I'm going to, you know, single-handedly destroy the plastic recycling plant when likely (laughs) it doesn't even make it to that machine. (laughs) That's so funny because I was the exact same way. I was always like, I don't want to be the person to have, make them throw out a ton of plastic (laughs) because mine still had yogurt in it. But (laughs) But now I know that's not even a thing. Like, and I guess a little, a little bit of like perspective is, you know, maybe my one cup is part of the ninety-two percent that's just going to end up in the landfill, anyways. Like all the water I wasted, I guess, cleaning all that stuff out. I don't know. There, I still recycle, and and even though I know the system's broken, it's still a part of me to recycle. But there's now I have that in my head about. Uh, I don't even know if this is ever going to make it to becoming a new thing. That reminds me of a a company that I I love. It's called Native Shoes. They're here in Vancouver. And you can return your shoes to them. And they actually turn it into playground equipment for kids. So I was thinking like as one solution, when companies start taking back their product, like that's something I want to support. I think that's really a cool way. Like they're called, I think it's called Cradle to Cradle where the company that makes the thing and native shoes actually makes all their shoes out of recycled plastic and recycled plastic and bioplastic, which is algae. So that's really cool. And they uh, will take back all of their, you know, all the old shoes and make it into something new. So that's, that's maybe where it needs to all go is companies need to start taking back what they sell you. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great way to still produce plastic. Um, kind of that one for one, like if I put it out, I'll bring it back. Oh my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> it's just such a huge, huge problem. You're right. It is. It's a huge problem. I mean, it feels like where do you even, where do you even start? Yeah. Where could we start? Like for people listening, where could we start if recycling is broken? Actually, you know, I, I was thinking of this kind of before we came on today and it is overwhelming to think of where we could start. But I think, and again, I'm coming from the lens of a climate rookie. I think the one first step that is very important is to just get informed. And that's where I think something like the Almanac comes in. It's just a matter of finding out what's happening, being informed, understanding, you know, and even for those of us who did kind of go through the like reduce, reuse, recycle upbringing and um, just understanding what else is going on, that there's more to be done, that there's so much happening. Yeah. And then starting to have conversations around it. Absolutely. I always think that I think all of life's problems come back to ego. And I think something that has really helped me be able to talk about this stuff more is just that sometimes I might sound like an idiot (laughs) talking about this. Like I may not have all of the science right like or all of the reasonings in a super clear logical argument but just to kind of 
not let that stop me or, or make me shy away from having those conversations. And I think actually today I had a conversation with somebody that I was really afraid to have because I knew that they, I don't know their stance on climate change. She was asking about the book and I told her about it the best I could. And I would have been really scared to do that before, but I think that is kind of important. Um, Just kind of those conversations that don't feel super comfortable. But I also think supporting organizations that, that are trying to like manage the fishing gear that's left in the oceans and things and, and remove it from the oceans and or are trying alternatives to plastic, I think could be a really effective way kind of just thinking more like systemically like let's target these people at the top. Yeah, and there's also a lot of really good organizations that are working to try to clean up the plastics of the ocean. There's I think I don't remember which company it was, but they had put out a contest of who could create something that would start vacuuming up the great Pacific plastic patch and, you know, things like that where mm-hmm. getting more people involved and looking into the bigger picture and the bigger the bigger problem. I think those are both great points around supporting organizations and those who are doing the work. And Tanya, I've definitely felt the same way in terms of mm-hmm climate conversations and being involved there. I think it can be easy to feel, especially if you're with someone who knows a lot about it, has known about it for a long time, it can be easy to feel like maybe there's not space to be a part of those conversations. But to your point, it's so important that we all just start talking about it. Like we say in the kids book, it doesn't have to be perfect, but we do need to start. It feels like a very heavy topic. So it doesn't always feel like appropriate to bring up, you know, but if it was maybe kind of normalized, you know, something that we all made a conscious effort to do all the time, we could just kind of, it, we could make it more casual. Mm-hmm. And and the conversations are so important for, you know, getting the ball rolling on finding solutions. You know, it just takes some people riffing and chatting and suddenly, you know, one idea leads to the next and you have a company like there's a a really cool company that's making fabric out of algae and it started from a conversation you know they just two people are like hey this is neat what can we do with this and you know it starts with a conversation which is so powerful that's very cool i would love to learn more about some of these companies that are out there does anyone know where we could is there like a central place where some of this might be located or like a blog somewhere or I'm glad you asked because we're a lot of these companies are being showcased in the daily difference so if you subscribe to the email then you'll get nice okay (laughs) yeah that's where I'm learning about most of them is through through that is these neat things like the fungi that uh, people are using as building material I had no idea that you could use fungi to make something that's as strong as steel Mm -hmm. like that blows my mind incredible so yeah so many good resources that are all here at our fingertips you've been listening to carbon sessions a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world we'd love you to join the carbon sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are 
This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.